Good morning, everyone. This morning, I'll share some thoughts following on what Alexis shared last night. And then we'll do just some playful practice working with thoughts and thinking. So Alexis spoke beautifully about this word dukkha, the first noble truth, um, often translated as suffering or stress, unreliability, ungovernability. When we come on retreat, we see very clearly how we're not really in charge of the situation. And I've heard from so many of you in the groups this experience of being very face-to-face, up front and center, with that rub, the difficulty. So the etymology of this word dukkha, dukkha, du, I think, is something like center, and then ka is the space around it, so it's like a wheel, actually. And dukkha is... Uh, pointing to a wheel that has bad alignment. It's like the hub doesn't quite fit. And when you have a loose wheel, doesn't fit so well, we're in for a pretty bumpy ride. And I think this uh, image points very adequately in a really appropriate way to the experience we have, because here we are, we're just going along. Things might be fine outside. It's sunny, nothing's wrong. But inside, we have just a little bit of a bumpy ride, don't we? It's hard to be with ourselves. So this practice puts us in touch with that, and many of you have been talking about this very particular kind of dukkha. We call it Sankara dukkha in Pali. That It's like a very subtle kind of rub, that no matter how much we get it together, things are kind of constantly falling apart. Think about Sankara Dukkha in terms of, you know, we live in these houses or apartments, rooms, and we might clean pretty frequently. No matter how often we clean, the dust is still coming. Right? We still have to do our laundry. Sankara Dukkha is pointing to that existential angst that we have. We just can't hold on to anything. We try so hard to get all these conditions together and they're constantly falling apart. And when we start to see that, even the subtle kind of uh, vibration bumpiness in our experience in retreat can be unsettling. And also, I'm going to say the cliche thing, it's good news when we start to see it. That means we're in the territory of the Four Noble Truths. And this practice is really building the resiliency that we can be with that discomfort. The says Carol translated them as torments, and aren't they? In our daily lives, we might not see how painful they are because we're just trying to get along. And all of these chilesas are running underneath. But here, there's nothing to distract us. It's so technicolor, the pain of them. How they do, they torment us. And so the radical part of this practice is we're not getting rid of them. We're turning to face them and in a very courageous way. We're learning to be with them so that there's actually more peace around them, more space, more willingness, more wisdom. 
And this is a long training because, of course, we're human. Our knee-jerk reaction, we don't want to suffer. We don't want to be with these torments. And so yesterday, one of you really pointed out that paradox that, of course, we're here because we don't want to suffer. And yet you come here and we tell you, be with the suffering. (laughs) Pay attention to it. Allow it. It's okay. And that is a paradox, but the magic is that when we can turn to it and we change our relationship to it, the wisdom that knows how it releases grows on its own. And this is the same practice instruction with this list that many of you might know as the nivaranas, or often translated as the five hindrances. I don't really like that translation because they only hinder our practice if we're not aware of them. So that which obstructs our practice, that which hinders our practice, the obstacles. We've talked a lot about sense desire, that wanting, greed in the mind. That's the first one. The second one is aversion or ill will, pushing away, not wanting, wanting a different moment. We can see how these come together. I don't like this moment, so I want a different one. Those are the first two, nivaranas. And then we have sleepiness, dullness, a kind of spacing out in the mind and the body. And then the pair with that one is restlessness and agitation, worry, anxiety. That's the fourth. And the fifth one is doubt. So these five, many of you are very familiar with them. And in this style, we really just want to recognize them. We don't have to work with antidotes. We don't have to apply some method to get rid of them. We simply want to get very familiar with how they're functioning in the mind. There are obstructions when we're looking through that lens, when we're sort of glommed onto it in our mind, we don't realize that we're restless, we don't realize that we're wanting, we don't realize that there's a subtle, aversive mood. And so we're looking through the world, that lens, and that makes it much harder to practice with right attitude and right view and right effort. And so just keeping an eye out for these nivaranas, When are they here with us? When are they visiting us? Just like the mice. Do we have mice in the cabin right now? And if we do, just a simple naming. Oh, this is restlessness. This is what it's like right now. Oh, I feel sleepy. And often right on the heels of that, there's the attitude, I did something wrong. This is wrong. I have to fix it. So we want to notice that too. This is all part of the practice. Notice if you're making yourself wrong when you recognize the hindrances. And just like Alexis was saying last night, can we find phrasing or wording or a stance that we see, oh, this is just the nature of the mind. This is just the nature of restlessness, the nature of sleepiness, the nature of doubt. Doubt can feel very personal. Well, everybody else seems to be doing great, but something's wrong with me. I don't think this works for me. I'm not doing it right. So watch out for that identification with the doubt stream. And each of us have our own very particular flavor of doubt. You might be doubting teachers. You might be doubting the Dharma. you of course doubting yourself. We just want to get very familiar. 
How does that feel? Often for me, it's um, less like a mental intellectual exercise. I know doubt is present when there's a subtle undertow to experience. And I feel like I'm fighting this tide. And then I realize, oh, there's this subtle doubting of what's happening right now or what I'm doing, how I'm practicing. So how does it feel in your body, in your mind? Does it color everything else? Often doubt comes along with other hindrances. (laughs) So recognize and then practice with, be aware of. Don't look down on the defilements. Don't look down on the nivaranas. And don't look down on yourself. See their impersonal nature. So thoughts and thinking, this is another area where we think we might not be able to practice. Doubt can arise if we have a lot of thinking. Because even subtly, we might have this belief that meditation is about getting rid of our thoughts. Very common misconception. Oh, I can't meditate right now. Too many thoughts. But just like I was saying about that parade of thoughts and emotions and how that actually deepened the collection, the coherence of the mind... You can use thoughts in the same way, and when they're the support, the object of your awareness, they can bring a very clear presence of mind. A lot of wisdom comes from this. Just like Alexis was saying, we can have wise thoughts. So we don't want to push them away. And in fact, this can be a really fun area. It's like a playground when we're practicing. We're learning to be mindful of the thoughts. So I wanted to offer just a couple of strategies or ways that we can work with thoughts and and start to see how we can be thinking and also aware. And this is a training. It's one of the hardest parts, actually, in meditation because we're so used to being carried away by those thoughts. We glom onto them. It's like we step into the movie and we like to be caught up in the story and so we lose our awareness. So one way I learned this from Sayada Utijaniya, you can pretend like you're watching a movie. Set up the screen in front of you and see how the thoughts just move across the screen and they're often very seductive. Wow, that story, the memory, the planning, the fantasy. Can you just watch it like it's a movie and can you know that you're watching? Can you stay settled in the awareness even as all of the images and the words and the storylines unfold? Some of you know my story about coming to meditation. I was young. I was a freshman in college, and I was struggling quite a lot. I had a lot of anxiety, and most of that was channeled through into a lot of self-hatred around my body some disordered eating, a lot of stress and strain, my relationship to my body. And I had all of these thoughts, many of them, so destructive, really cruel towards myself, towards others. And a good friend of mine, a meditator, she sat me down and she showed me this movie. Um, Some of you maybe have seen A Brilliant Mind. It came out in 2001. (laughs) That's a long time ago. 
It's this movie about John Nash, who is this famous mathematician, really brilliant. And he also had schizophrenia. So through the movie, you see how his mind is working with these stories and these imaginary people that come and visit him, and it's very real for him. And over the course of the movie, he learns to work with these imaginary people. He knows that they're just imaginary. He knows not to believe them. And there's this very powerful scene at the end where he's successful in his life. He's working. He's a mathematician. He's doing all of this. I think he won all these prizes. And these people, in his mind, they haven't gone away. You're thinking, even the self-cruelty, the self-criticism, that might not go away. Right? And in this image, all these people are still walking beside him. And you see him glance over. He sees them, but he doesn't believe in them anymore. And my friend showed me that movie as a teaching for how to work with all of the cruelty I was experiencing. You might still see those thoughts. You might still hear them. They're, a lot of them are very deeply habituated. And yet, can you kind of glance at them sideways like, okay, I see you. And I'm just going to keep practicing here because I don't invest so much in your truth. They hold less weight. And we start to realize we have so many other perspectives that are possible. It's like we're trained to look through the world in this narrow way and believe in certain truths. And practice helps us open wide to really see, oh, there's so much more going on here that I didn't realize. That story is just a story. There's all kinds of other stories I could be curious about. So especially with difficult thoughts that feel like they're some of these torments coming from greed, hatred, delusion, doubt, can you see them just walking beside you in a friendly way even? You can bow to them. Thank you for sharing. And I'm just going to keep practicing here because I know there's other truths going on as well. Regard them with some skepticism. Okay, let's see what else is true. So another way to to work with thoughts, that was sort of like the difficult thoughts, right? If you're just having a lot of thoughts, they might be playful. See if you can deliberately, in a moment of strong awareness, let the thought play itself out and stay with your awareness. This can be a practice. Like start out very aware in the body, hearing, here we are, present. Okay, now I'm going to think about my mother, could even do this together right now. Know you're hearing, you're sitting, and just bring up a thought of your mom. Could be an image, could be the felt sense of this person. Can you be aware and still know that you're thinking about your mom? How is that? I'm just curious. Anybody notice that you're aware and you're thinking? (laughs) So, yeah, come practice. And this is an old adage. It comes from Joseph and I think maybe from his teacher, Munindraji, who said, the thought of your mother is not your mother. That's also a very deep teaching. 
So as you're bringing up thoughts and deliberately using them as your object, can you know there's a kind of um, illusory nature to the thought? Joseph will say a thought is little more than nothing. It's just this fleeting little ripple, and then it's gone. So we want to treat them lightly. Sometimes the metaphor is that you're sitting on the riverbank and you're watching the river of your thoughts flow by. You're not drifting down the river with the thoughts. You're just watching them flow. Or it's like gazing at the big blue sky, mind like the sky, and you can watch the clouds flow through. And it's just a training. Sometimes we get caught up. Sometimes we get pulled down into the river. But the practice again and again is to get back out. Notice. Be aware. Don't ever get rid of the river or the clouds. Just watch them with a lot of awareness. So I have a friend, another Dharma teacher, Matthew Brensilver. Some of you might know him. Very good teacher. And he tells a story about how he was teaching one retreat. I think it was maybe for newcomers, people who had never been on retreat before. And he tends to get a little bit abstract in his teaching. And so he tells a story about how his, the feedback was maybe less abstraction, just like practical instructions. So he went in, gave this beautiful teaching, and he felt he was aware. He was aware of himself at the very end of this teaching, saying something like, over time, eventually, you realize your mind is like the sky. And then you see that the clouds are made of sky, too. What does that mean? <laughs> is that abstract? <laughs> but I love it, this line. Can you look at that? Stay curious about the nature of your thoughts. Are your thoughts also made of awareness? Start to realize that the clouds are made of sky too. Okay, so we'll just do some simple practice together, very lightly guided. Many of you are already quiet, settled. Stay aware even as you shift your posture. And just notice, awareness is here already. You can trust that you have a lot of momentum by now. And with this relaxed continuity of awareness, sometimes we are already aware and then we have this little like, oh, but I need to try harder or I need more awareness. See if you're pushing a little bit and know that you can just rest back. So natural. This knowing mind, you're not making it happen. Already here.
So we're setting up our camp in awareness. It's our kind of our home ground. And from this place of being aware and knowing, just letting things unfold naturally, feeling the body, maybe feeling the breath. Seeing what other objects you're aware of. You might be aware of sound. You might be aware of thoughts about the sounds. In a very playful way, notice how you can stay knowing what's happening without much tinkering. No need to fix this moment. Can Can we be with the body, the thoughts, the moods, the mind states, just as they are? Every now and again, checking to see how's the attitude. And is there a subtle nivarana, or a not so subtle, uh, obstacle, or a particular kind of lens that's recoloring how we're experiencing things? Wanting, aversion, sleepiness, restlessness, doubt. Just checking. And when you recognize it, we simply observe. Staying in awareness, letting things be.
And if you'd like to play with thoughts and thinking, you may already have a lot of opportunity to do so if you are thinking a lot. And just see if you can stay aware as the thoughts roll by. And if you want to be deliberate, you can think deliberately about the past or the future. And just see, how is awareness? Is awareness the same when we're thinking or when we're not? And notice, you're not making the awareness happen. So we're just recognizing this knowing mind, even if there's a lot of movement with thinking. And just see what you notice. What can you discover about this thinking mind? Are these your thoughts? Is there somebody who possesses these thoughts? Or are they just arising and passing all on their own?
And just in the last few minutes of the formal practice, see if you can notice how these thoughts are coming together, changing, shifting, passing away. And just like in a movie, they're telling us all these stories. There's this sense of them coming together and creating a sense of I, me, and mine, my story, my experience. But notice their conditioned nature. They're just coming together and falling apart. Moment by moment by moment, there is no solid thing there like a self. Just thoughts passing. And just play with this. See if you can notice how we use thoughts and thinking to create a very solid sense of me, mine. Don't have to get tense about this. Stay relaxed and just notice. We're not trying to get rid of a self because there isn't one to begin with. And we can trust simply by being aware all of nature will reveal itself to us. We don't have to make it happen. So just to close, I'll share this poem This is called Thinking by Danusha Lamaris. Don't you wish they would stop all the thoughts swirling around in your head? Bees in a hive, dancers tapping their way across the stage. I should rake the leaves in the carport, buy Christmas lights. Was there really life on Mars? What will I have for dinner? 
I walk up the driveway, put the garbage bins out. I should stop using plastic bags. Visit my friend whose husband just left her for the Swedish nanny. I wish I hadn't seen Patrick's painting. I wish I hadn't said Patrick's painting looked ominous. Maybe that's why he hasn't called. Does the car need oil again? There's a hole in the ozone the size of Texas, and everything seems to be speeding up. Come, let's stand by the window and look out at the light on the field. Let's watch how the clouds cover the sun and almost nothing stirs in the grass. So can we be with this dance, this display, these thoughts that are mercurial and playful, the display of aliveness, holding them all with some grace, some humor, and some trust that awareness can do this work. And over time, we might notice that the clouds are made of sky too. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.